Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most electrifying must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment. Wait, sorry, nope. I sniffed. Oh, you My sniffed? Bad. Yeah, I sniffed. <laughs> Can I take it from now? Give it a couple. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most electrifying must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment. Welcome to FFC. I'm your host, Damian Ellinghouse, accompanied, as always, by my good friend, Ryan Doyle. How are we, sir? I'm doing great. I don't know how my fantasy teams are doing, but I'm doing the best that I can. I'm doing god-awful. Okay, yes. Going on a mighty 2-7 and seven right now. I'm somewhere around 4-6 uh, and six or something like that. I have... Top five positional Do players. not draft Patriots running backs ever. Well, that was, ever. You should have known that for the last five years. I should have, but I always, I always get sucked right back in, man. <laughs> Just when I think I'm out. <laughs> Bill drags me back in. So, we're going to start off today by talking to you about what we're drinking today. And let me tell you, it is special. It's a special guy. Ryan, tell me about this beverage. Oh, we have on deck right here... El Segundo Brewing Company. People already know what I'm talking about. We're talking about Steve Austin's Broken Skull IPA. Let me tell you, I had no idea that we could find this around here. Um, and Stone Cold really did a good job of selling himself to me uh, on Hot Ones. And I'm really excited to be drinking this now. So let's take our first sips. Cheers. Cheers, my sir. That's smooth. You know, it's a 6.7% standard IPA. Um, really smooth. Not too hoppy. I wonder if it's got like right. citra hops in there or something. Yes, citra. Mm-hmm. So citra. what I like about it the most is that it doesn't have that strong uh, hoppy floral aftertaste, that slow burn that mm-hmm. IPAs usually have. It actually has a nice clean finish that's m- more associated with brown ales to me. Okay. Which I really appreciate about this. I'm a really I'm a really big fan of citra hops in any IPA, so I definitely appreciate things like this. Um, and I can't think of a more um, a more willing partner in my podcasting than this beer right here. And you, don't worry. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> I mean, were you surprised that he doesn't like? I mean, not that I was disappointed because it's just not good anyway. But I mean, like uh, he. He doesn't like Budweiser or like Bud Light. <laughs> I was a little disappointed because, what do you mean? They're Steve Weisers. What do you mean you don't like yeah, exactly. Budweiser? Exactly. But um, it also made me feel good because he's exactly the type of guy that I would expect to be like, jump, stimmel, stone cold, drink no IPA. So it was nice to see that Stone Cold. Uh, stone a, Cold moved to Flatbush. Yeah, he's a supporter of the craft beer revolution. And so speaking of revolutions, let's get right into it. The revolution of the wrestling world right now, AEW just had its full gear pay-per-view. Now, this is the first pay-per-view that AEW has run with um, the backing of a weekly show behind it. So they were actually able to advance some storylines, set up some feuds, and these are the feuds that have been set up um, since... The newest ones set up since the feuds at Double or Nothing. So we're now moving into Uncharted territory for them. So let's get right into it. So they started off with the match between um, Santana Ortiz, also now known as Proud and Powerful, which to me is kind of a terrible name. But um, I guess they couldn't use LAX. We, uh, yeah, so Proud and Powerful and uh, Bucky Boys. Uh, the match was pretty good. Um, you know, the Bucks' bad year continues. Uh, another tough loss, um, this time at the hands of the Inner Circle. So the Elite are clearly 
and you're going to see this throughout the pay-per-view, they're, they're clearly telling the story of they started this promotion and they're just they're not getting the bounces and they don't really know what's going on right now. Um, I thought the match was pretty good. You know, I got to tell you, this is my personally my first exposure to the Bucks. Um, I watched some of their stuff in you know Ring of Honor, some of their stuff in New Japan. Um, they're not really doing it for me, honestly. Well, they're on a lull, especially now. With, I guess they're having troubles for everybody currently in the Elite, which is fine. You know, it can't be all about the Elite on the show right away. They have to have everybody integrate into it. Plus, I'm assuming they're knowing that the viewer already has knowledge of all the members of the Elite and all the past matches in New Japan, on the Indies, PWG, all that and, you know, once again, that is an issue that we spoke about last episode that I think persists is is you need to really be up on being the elite and you need to be up on AEW Dark and you also need to have a working knowledge of their stuff in the indies in Japan. And that's not realistic when you're talking about a new promotion. Now, um, I don't personally have a problem with it, but do you think they're doing a disservice to the newer fans that came here specifically to see Young Bucks matches? And I think that, you know... It's okay for you to be a little bit of an unproven commodity and just, like, understand coming in as a fan that, all right, clearly these guys were somewhere before. But, you know, for people like me that are wrestling fans and but but didn't know everything about, and just don't have the time to keep up with all the content, I do think that you're potentially losing some viewership like that. Um, but, you know, regardless, the match itself is pretty good. Um, probably the highlight is an incredible sell by, uh, was it Ortiz, I think, got hit by a super kick and flop did like a flare flop almost um and you know but i don't know the match was fine um it was good it was a it was a fine opener like i said the bucks in the ring are not really doing it for me right now um they're clearly talented they've been doing this for a long time but there is something about the spot fest that i'm just not loving santana and ortiz i think looked pretty good they looked strong um, and obviously they get a big win over the Bucks, so I think it was the right move for the story. The match itself was okay. And I super appreciated the special guest appearance by, <laughs> by Mr. Ricky Morton and the, Mr. Robert Gibson. The Rock and Roll Express. The Rock and Roll Express. Um, now, obviously, they played into this a little bit because they were presenting the AEW Tag Team Championships the night that it was decided between Lucha Bros and SCU. They got attacked by Proud and Powerful, so they got a little bit of retribution. Namely, Ricky hitting a destroyer on Santana, I think. Yep. And, well, I mean, it wasn't the prettiest destroyer you'll ever see, but... It wasn't the prettiest, but did you notice the crowd's reaction? He's almost 70 years old. Well, when you're not expecting things, it's more of a surprise to you. Yeah. And I'm not going to harp on them for doing, quote-unquote, spam finishes. I love the product, don't get me wrong. But I think when you have a nice build-up and then you give somebody a surprise like that, I think the pop will be more greater than, oh, I'm going to expect, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm going to expect Pac to do a Falcon Arrow or I'm going to expect, yeah. you know, Jericho to do a Code Breaker. Uh-huh. No, I completely agree. And not just for them to, you know, you could maybe expect that, oh, well, they, they showed them at ringside, so they will right. probably get involved. But, but no, to- certainly nobody's expecting a, a near... 65-year-old 
Destroyer. Destroyer. The Destroyer. <laughs> and this is after Proud and Powerful already won the match and started beating down the Bucks. Right, right. Um, so they come in for the save. They had a Destroyer. And then Ricky hits a suicide dive as well. And a, a, honestly, yeah. a pretty good-looking suicide dive. Yep. Um, so, you know, for that alone, match gets elevated a little bit. Um, so moving on, Pac versus Paige. For me, that was my match of the night. I'm going to agree with that too, honestly. Um, I think which was important because I think uh, Adam Page really needed uh, a signature win here. I agree, 100. Um, percent Adam Page. I now I think since coming onto TV, maybe even going as far back as the match with Jericho, um, he's been on a little bit of a roll. I think that he's the member of the elite that's probably had the best matches since AEW since the TV show has started since Dynamite's gone on. Um, this feud obviously goes all the way back to the very beginnings of AEW, and um, Paige gets his win back after Pac submits him, and doesn't even submit him, makes him tap out in the middle of the ring after hitting a black arrow into a brutalizer. Um, this match was very, very hard-hitting. Um, Hangman was throwing Pac around all over the ring, outside and inside. Uh, Pac continuing to show why, in my opinion... Despite the presence of people like Kenny Omega and John Moxley there, I believe that he is the most well-rounded performer there. Uh, I think he's the best heel that they have by far, um, and I like that they're keeping his character simple. He's just—he's just a bastard. He's just a guy that doesn't care about anybody else and wants to win, and I respect that because sometimes heels don't need much more motivation than like, well, I don't care about the people around me. Um, I agree, and uh, you know, I'll say it before. I said it before, and I'll say it again: is that I think the most. Uh, the wrestler who would benefit the most from leaving the elite would be Hangman Page. Mm-hmm. I get '90s Sting vibes off of him, to where you know he just has to be on his own, and anybody that's going to get in it, not that anybody's going to screw him over, but you know he he benefits more from the uh, you know the Lone Ranger type. I'm going to just do everything on my own and just yeah. really excel in this role because, like I said, what is his character? His character's Cut down from the gallows. You know Cowboy I mean? shit. Exactly. Uh, yeah, no, and, and this was, like you said, this was a win that he needed if you're trying to build him up as a main eventer. And having consistently great matches like this is what's going to build him up and endear him to the fans. You know, he's got the look. He's clearly got the talent. Um, he has the charisma. Um, I think that his um, promo, like we've spoken about this before, you you know, right. the promo that he did leading into All Out where he ripped up the stitches was really good. I still think he could benefit from maybe even just some more mic time. But Mic time on the spot especially, yeah. He hasn't gotten too much of that, I believe, right? Yeah, not really. Um, he had a couple moments here and there. But if you want to build him up organically with the fans, I think this is the way to do it because he's looking strong in defeats. He's looking good. He's beating important people and uh, you don't damage Pac because that's you're not going to fault anybody for losing a match like that. He just got beat in that moment, um, and it was it was the right result. So for me, that was the match of the night. Um, so going on, the redemption of Ty Dillinger continues. Uh, Sean Spears beating people up, uh, totally getting involved. Um, match between Sean Spears and Joey Janela. I, I think that I like this a little bit more than other people did. Um, I think that Sean Spears is playing like the old school heel pretty effectively. I like it. I think they had to change up the entrance a little bit because he's too he has like too much chairman? of a baby. I mean, like Tully Blanchard looks more of a badass than Sean Spears. <laughs> well, you don't like the little uh, hood vest. Well, combo. it's like you know if he's gonna, he, I'd rather him do that on his own than have uh, you know 
Tully Blanchard come out with him because why would he need Tully Blanchard? Because if, if that's such a sadistic look that he's going after, dragging a chair behind him, this this tortured soul that came all the way over from Connecticut, like, <laughs> you know, I think let him play it on his own. And no disrespect to Tully, I think Tully has been awesome in his role with Sean Spears thus far. But he has too much of a doughy face <laughs> to be portraying that. I, I get that. Um, you know, for me, I, I think that like I said, I think he's playing his role well. He's a mid-carder that can go against some tough opponents and come out looking pretty good. Um, he's the same Ty Dillinger that he was in NXT. He was before that the same Sean Spears. He you was know? a heel. Like, I didn't really catch much of uh, NXT during that time, but during the whole tent shtick, he was a heel that got over with the crowd eventually, right? If I'm correct. He was like a snarky, like... Uh, yeah, I think he... I'm know. a 10. Yeah, I'm a zero. I'm the perfect 10. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Um, I th- so I think that uh, personally, Tully's playing his role well. He helps out uh, Sean Spears with win over over Joey Janela. You know, spikes him with the to- with the pile driver, which I think goes back to you know Tully in his active days doing the same thing. Um, so you know, and it was a good showing from Joey Janela too. Joey Janela's trying to show that he's more than just a deathmatch guy, kind of like Moxley's doing a little bit more chain wrestling, a little bit more just. Straightforward work. And I think he benefit more from you know the sh- straightforward matches because he has this vibe of like early two thousands Jeff Hardy, where yeah. like he just has like all this like flair around him, and you know he just has to utilize it against because he's going to be super over with the crowd. But I think he just needs to fine tune everything a little bit. I get agree. away from the the deathmatch shit. Yeah, and and you know so it was, I think it was a pretty good showing for both, and uh, I think it's fine for Joey Janela to lose in that spot. You know they're building up Sean Spears as. You know, they need other heels, so you can't just all be in the inner circle. So it's it's good to have a mid-carder that can be elevated sometimes, and I think Joey looks good. I also noticed in the match that Excalibur started talking about the story behind the match because there is a story behind the match. You know, um, like they showed a little vignette on AEW Dark about Tully, you know, having Sean Spears hold his mouth open, burning him with a cigarette because I think Joey Janela flicked a cigarette at him. And the reason I'm speaking with so much confusion about this story is because JR interrupted Excalibur in the middle of this and then it never happened again. And again, they're doing a lot of you rely of a lot of lying on you to have caught all the other content. And I'm not comparing this to WWE. Of course, WWE has six, seven hours plus of content, but just as a new promotion, I really think they need to be like doing a better job of letting the commentator let Excalibur talk. And that's talk. such a badass spot. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's not. It's not letting Excalibur talk. I think Jr. You know, I saw people piling on Jr. for this, but Jr. is there to serve as the role of the viewer who's not sure what's going on. Yeah. And I don't know if Excalibur is catching the dynamic that what uh, Jr. is trying to do here. But like I said. I mentioned the uh, Orange Cassidy thing yeah. in our last episode where JR was like, well, who's Orange Cassidy? And it was just like, it's Orange Cassidy, JR. Yeah, and no. I was like, well, <laughs> shit. Like, you know what I mean? I think that they just have to play off that dynamic a little more. But, you know, certainly let Excalibur explain if you don't know what it is. Yeah, exactly. Because it's fine for JR. But it's not JR like, I don't know what the hell's going on. It's JR just trying to, yeah, tell me the story behind this. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I still think that JR has been doing a pretty good job in the booth anyway so this isn't Tony Chavon getting back in there puts JR in the most perfect place yeah he does serve as a good solid legendary color guy I agree I agree and uh so moving on um the right team won SCU uh beats uh Lucha Bros 
to wait. I'm sorry, I'm mixing myself up. Triple threat match between Lucha Bros and uh, Private Party. So this match was also pretty good. Um, Private Party is very exciting. They're but they're really green. Every single 100%. time they're in the ring, I notice you know it's a lot of looking for spots and. Lucha Bros were also guilty of this as well. Um, there's a lot of looking back and waiting for the right, you know, for the timing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm not going to sit here and say that it takes away from the match, but it's a little ob- obnoxious, and I think it highlights just how spotty these matches can be at times. And everybody's doing a similar style, and that can be really glaring when you have teams like Private Party that are clearly talented, charismatic. They're good. I, I like them a lot. But when you have people, they're doing things like this. You see Lucha Bros doing things like this. And it forces the veteran team like SCU to kind of pick up the slack. It highlights it more than necessary. I appreciate the, uh, the little push that they're giving to the private party right now just to kind of get some other tag teams um, in the fray, especially a young tag team. Because, you know, I don't think it would have been good to get Young Bucks just right up to the front. So I think... AEW's tag team division is honestly better than NXT right now because NXT is just like a little barren. Mm-hmm. So I think now that Private Party got their run, I think now it's time for them just to settle back in to the mid card and just you know keep working. They're really young. I mean, they're only like twenty three and twenty four. Yeah, they're they're really young, and I I I completely agree with that. Um, I'm also like I said, I like Private Party. I just stuff like that can take you out of the match a little bit now. The big story, obviously, in this match is SCU versus Lucha Brothers, which, in my opinion, has been a better feud than Lucha Brothers versus Young Bucks. I really like that Lucha Bros are really healing it up, you know, injuring Christopher Daniels before uh, SCU beats them for the tag titles. Um, and, of course, this plays into the end of this match. So, you know, it's hard-hitting. It's good. Uh, I think SCU is probably the best team that they have on the roster right now. Um Scorpio Sky really picking it up with Frankie Kazarian. He's, awesome. He's incredible. He's really incredible. That the team has great chemistry, and it's not surprising because I mean they've been together forever. Did forever. you did you know that all three of them were on TNA at the same time in two thousand five? I had no idea. In uh, Ring of Honor, yeah, and I believe they also wrestled on a couple of PWG uh, matches as well during that time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they definitely have. Uh, Definitely a history with them, and it just shows. They are just highly skilled workers. They really are. And so, match ends. SCU retains. Uh, Lucha Brothers attack them. Frustrations boil over, and then the lights go out. Um, and then the lights come back on. And standing next to Penta... Who is it? Is Penta! What? Two Pentas, staring at one another. And they look at each other, and they they do the, the Cerro Miedo... Uh, the old Harpo Marks routine. Yep, it's same. <laughs> and then Penta attacks Penta. And then Fe- Ray Phoenix comes in. And Penta hits, well, he hits a finisher that looks oddly familiar to me. And he takes off the mask. And it's Christopher Daniels, the fallen angel. With the ankh on the eye. <laughs> nice little callback there. So CD comes back. Helps his boys out, and uh, I'm really excited for this feud to continue, hopefully on a, lo- a long-term basis. I don't need to see them fight over and over and over again, but I think that the injury angle with Christopher Daniels, and I, you know, I, I think it was really well done, and I'm looking forward to these guys going at it for a while together. And then we get to the last two matches on the card. I'm sorry, last three matches on the card. Um, so, 
Riho versus Sakura. Uh, Emi Sakura. This is probably the best example of two things. A, how AEW, again, needs to do a better job of telling stories on the program itself and not just relying on your knowledge of the past or Twitter or AEW Dark, um, but also of how little attention is really being paid to the women's division. Right. Um, I really, really think that they're doing their roster a disservice right now. I think they have a lot of talented women on the roster, and I can't tell you a single thing about more than three of them. The best explanation from this match came on the same day through Kenny Omega's Twitter about why this match is important. And I get that, and no disrespect to Sakura, who's a, a legend in uh, Poresu Wrestling, and sorry, Yoshi Wrestling. Yeah. And, you know, she's a, a well-respected trainer over in Japan. But why is she dressed like Freddie Mercury? And <laughs> is she supposed to be the heel? Like, you know what I mean? And to some degree, it's fine for stuff like that to not be... Like, Excalibur did a little bit of, oh, well, she just likes Freddie Mercury, that's her idol. And that's a fine enough explanation, and... Oh, and her thing is, oh, is she a heel? Is she a face? Who knows? So, I mean, that's fine. But, like you said, I mean, the story is being told through Kenny Omega's Twitter. And then they do a promo package before. Mm-hmm. But why is this not something... Why Why am main, I now... Like, why isn't the AEW main account <laughs> tweeting this out? Yeah, like, why do I just now know that their history... That I knew that they were mentor and teacher and uh, student. They said that... I didn't know they've had, like, 30 matches before this. I didn't know it's, other belts were John involved. It's the John Cena, Randy Orton of the Japanese women's wrestling, man. <laughs> it's a big deal. and um, But all that aside, the match was incredible. I was not sold on either one of them up to this point. Uh, Riho's match with Nyla Rose I thought was pretty good, honestly. And I don't think that she's been bad. She, she just hasn't really done it for me. There's something about it that I, I can't put my finger on. Uh, and Emi Sakura, frankly, I thought she looked slow in a lot of the matches that I saw, and I just wasn't that impressed. Now, and that's a little bit of a stylistic thing. I understand that. The Japanese style is very different. Uh, Joshi is very different. So I can, you know, I'm not going to blame that on the performers. That's just my understanding of it. But this match was incredible. Honestly, the, the storytelling in the ring was phenomenal. There was clear mutual respect between them, but Sakura playing the tweener role of, am I going to be a heel? Am I not going to be a heel? Um, it And it just got more and more intense leading up to that um, final sequence of this incredible, like, Riho spinning around Emi Sakura and flipping her over to get, um, a, you know, a roll-up, but, a, like, a pretty cool roll-up, like, very technical. And... Um, Oh, yeah, the last three minutes of this match just really brought the heat. Yeah. It, Almost to the point where it was just like, I wish they kind of started off that way. But mm-hmm. honestly, the way they led up to the final portion of the match was great, in my opinion. I agree. It was a great technical match all around. Um, and I really appreciate about the women. I'm rooting hard for this women's division to succeed. It's a little barren right now, but if they can keep up that technical style, I think it would really give uh, you know just a signature edge to the women's division in AEW right now. I'm rooting for every single women's division in general, and so, of course. of course, I want AEWs to be successful, but if we're being completely honest, if we're going to use WWE and NXT as the barometer of success, their women's roster is so much better developed, it's not even close, and I understand they have the benefit of years and years of you getting used to these characters, but it's it's no comparison. Well, did you happen to see what happened, just real quick, did you happen to see what happened on the pre-show? 
of the AEW pre-show? Yes. Oh, the one with uh, Britt Baker and Bea Priestley? Did you see who came out? Uh, was it Awesome Kong? It was Awesome Kong with Brandy as their manager, and Awesome Kong just comes out, and Awesome Kong, for the like, if you remember Karma from years ago in WWE, her debut, and that was during like the dark ages of the women's roster, so here comes Awesome Kong, just like this menacing, tough-looking woman just coming out, and she's carrying a knife next to uh, Brandy Rhodes. You're like, what the hell is she going to do? Well, she gets in the ring and cuts off a chunk of Bia Priestley's hair. Yeah. And, you know, she was on the roster since um, Double or Nothing, so I was waiting for her to make her debut. But she finally made her debut, and I think that now she's going to start getting a bit of a push, and I think she's really going to help that uh, women's roster in terms of just, like, credibility mm-hmm. and, you know, just overall strength of presentation and i hope so because this was this championship match was the best women's match that AEW's put on thus far i really hope that they build on it um the following dynamite they still only had one match and they that keeps happening in dynamite so we'll see what happens uh to finish off the last two matches of the night the long-awaited uh cody versus jericho um cody i will give cody this Cody is probably the best storyteller in the ring that AEW has. Ooh, that promo, baby. Uh, he cuts this amazing... I wish we had that promo on our last episode because that thing was truly a work of art, and I wish we had more time to talk about it, but go back and watch that promo from the Dynamite the, the Wednesday before uh, full year. Jim Cornette, longtime critic of, the, of all of the elite and of AEW specifically, um, referred to it as his version of Dusty's most famous promo. Um, what is the name of that promo again? Hard times, daddy. Hard times. Uh, and it was incredible. It was an incredible promo. Uh, it was passionate. And the story here is, again, it's very simple. Cody likes his storylines simple. They're old school wrestling storylines. You know, Jericho is shitting on the millennials, shitting on the youth. And Cody wants to prove that he is more than just a millennial, more than just his name. And they go into this MJF on Cody's side and uh, Jake Hager on Jericho's side. The match itself is pretty good. Um, I think Jericho's work throughout AEW has been pretty solid in the ring. I mean, it's, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's oh, transcendent, yeah. but he has been good. And he plays his role very well. He is the perfect inaugural champion. And um, I will give this whole pay-per-view, I believe that the right result happened. Every match. Um, so, after a hard-hitting affair um, involving... in a really, really bad botch spot that busts Cody open again because Cody just needs to bleed in every single match he has. Just like Daddy. Just like Daddy. Um, you know, he seems outmatched for most of the match. He hits this botch spot. Now he's bleeding all over the place. Jericho capitalizes. Um, there's some fuckery between, you know, Jake Hagar in there and MJF as well, as we as is to be expected with a Jericho match now that he's got the inner circle on his side. Um... It ends with Jericho put, getting Cody into the walls, and the walls aren't enough. Reversal. We get a couple of you know we we get a couple of blows exchange. Jericho gets Cody back into the lion tamer, and he's got the knee on the back of his neck. And Cody's doing a really great job of selling this as just like he's dead. He's dead, and and Jericho's got him. MJF is looking. He doesn't know what to do. And in what I thought was a really great way to end this match. MJF throws in the towel. Um, and I think MJF played his part really well throughout this whole match. 
Um, and this whole storyline of, of him being Cody's best friend and him, despite him being this mega heel, Cody is the guy that he respects the most. He throws in a towel and Cody's lifeless. Like Cody would have, the story that they're telling here is obviously that Cody would have lost this match no matter what. And maybe he would have gotten his neck broken. Maybe he would have had his back broken if MJF doesn't throw in a towel. So Jericho gets to celebrate. The inner circle comes out. He pops a little bit of the bubbly and uh, MJF's in the ring just apologizing to Cody. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Like I, I had to. And Cody, I thought this was the moment Cody was going to turn on him. And uh, in what is the most predictable you know, way for this to end, Cody forgives him and MJF kicks him in the balls. Um, but I think that the way that they played it makes the predictable the predictability of it all fine with me. MJF and Cody did a really good job of selling this as like maybe he won't turn. Maybe it, Cody it will be the one to turn. It was a great burn because you're just teeting on the rope of like, yeah, could Cody turn on MJF? I, I thought that was going to happen because sometimes the most obvious things in wrestling just go with it. But I thought, you know... Either one of them could each be a heel again, just like that. Absolutely. I mean, MGF is already a heel, but now they could be, you know, their true... Selves. True selves, exactly. So, but he did give him a swift kick to the family jewels. And now we have, in my opinion, uh, the next top heel in wrestling. Yeah, MJF, he's been waiting for this moment, and this is his moment, and he's going to take it. Um, and he walks off. He gets showered with like soda or beer Ooh, yeah. by by someone in the crowd. It's it's a really great moment. What he a says. nice '90s WCW crowd uh, <laughs> greeting. Yeah, um, and it was it was great. And this all leads us to the match of the night, the marquee, unsanctioned. I'm sorry, lights out match between Kenny Omega and the unsanctionable John Moxley. Um, I think that if you're a wrestling fan, this has been spoken to death about. So. I won't go into a ton of details about the match itself, but... What did it, you get out of it? Well... There's a little controversy amongst what people... What people thought of it, and, you know, was it too much? So, when I was watching it, and, you know, let, let me set this up with... This is the blow-off match of, some, of a feud going back to Double or Nothing when Jon Moxley makes his appearance at the end of the Kenny Omega-Chris Jericho match... And uh, attacks Jericho. Then he hits the... uh, He he tries to hit the Dirty Deeds, a.k.a. the Paradigm Shift, on Kenny Omega. And ends up, you know, they brawl outside. This is the blow-off of about six months' worth of storyline. Some people feel that this story never progressed more than just two people that want to beat the hell out of each other. And so why do we have a hardcore match like this? I think enough was done throughout the weeks that this is the brutality that we were wanting. And Jon Moxley did promise... Uh, you know, professional wrestling violence, the likes of which nobody has seen in decades. Um, And they delivered. Um, I cringed throughout this match. So this is a hardcore match where anything goes, no holds barred. um, And they did not hold uh, any of the bars. (laughs) You know, they're bringing out glass. They're bringing out a plywood thing with mousetraps on it. And... um, I was cringing throughout the whole thing of just, oh my god, this is so brutal. But somebody pointed out to me, not to me personally, but somebody pointed out on Squared Circle, um, on the you know one of the bigger wrestling forums on Reddit, that a lot of these spots weren't actually that dangerous. They're me- it's spectacle. It's meant to make you think it's dangerous. Like Kenny Omega grabs Shard of Glass and 
goes in between Moxley's fingers, and you're cringing, but like... Mm, tastes good. It's sugar glass. <laughs> <laughs> but like, nothing actually happened to him. Yeah. Uh, same thing with the mousetraps. If you think about that, like, he wasn't stepping on them. He was rolling over them, so, like, they clamp you for a second. I'm not going to say it's not painful, but it, nobody was really in danger. Probably the most dangerous spot was... Either Kenny delivering the V trigger outside into the light fixture, or uh, get, the, the AEW sign. Yeah, here. yeah, that was cool. I like that. Spot. Or uh, or John Moxley getting choked by a chain and like getting hung almost. Yeah. Outside of that, it you know the bar. Where do you get the most nice looking chain? By the way, like oh, you need like beautiful. an old like gaudy rustic chain. Like you can't get like this nice gold chain that looks like it came out of like Big Pun's collection or something <laughs> like that. It was great. So for me, you know, to get to the question, what did I get out of it? Um, I think it did its job. I think they wanted to make people cringe, and people cringed. And they wanted to make people uncomfortable, and they wanted to present this as a blood feud, and they did. And they got the version of Kenny Omega, you know, that's as close to the cleaner as we've seen yet. Just brutal, efficient. He's laughing to himself. Yeah, here's what I loved about the match. I love the fact that Kenny, like, is just going insane right now and forcing the Young Bucks to, like, get that gun at the table out. Like, you know, help me with this. And the Young Bucks are like, all right, dude, here you go. I don't know. So I think... Kenny needs to get away from that soft-spoken side that he exposed during um, the Golden Lovers era, like, right after the second Okada match. And, like, you know, he wanted to go back and, like, you know, just get a run with... Um, and get a run in Japan with uh, Ibushi as the uh, Golden Lovers because that was his first tag team, which I appreciated, no, no doubt. But, like, it showed a very soft and vulnerable side to him, so... Him getting back to the cleaner, whether with or without the elite, is good in my opinion. Yeah. Um, what I didn't like about the match kind of came on Moxley's side, and I know people are probably going to disagree with me, but did you come to AEW just to do death matches, man? I mean, I, I know that's like your bread and butter, and like I know that's what he cut his teeth in, pardon the pun, but I think I appreciate the technical side, and maybe that's just me, you know. Still wanting to see Dean Ambrose, but, uh, you know, he's still, I think he would really shine from just being the technical guy, uh, you know, and I think you have to just sprinkle in all of the death matches in between, but I think, you know, like you said, it's, it's a good play that they can't get an actual match out of this feud just yet, so it's a nice slow burn, eventually we will get um, a clean one-off between them, but I think... He needs to just, you know, kind of do his own thing right now and, uh, you know, just become the more technical technical side to himself. So I'm conflicted mainly because, obviously, I want John Moxley to be who John Moxley is, and he is a deathmatch legend and gives a little bit of credibility to the hardcore fans if AEW does matches like this once in a blue moon. I definitely think it needs to not be overdone, um, and I won't disagree with you there. I am looking forward to another match between these two that is more technical because, honestly, um, Kenny in AEW is so different than Kenny in New Japan. And it it's I'm very conflicted in it because I was really excited for Kenny to come on board. But, you know, I got into his stuff in New Japan and was like, wow, I really get why people are calling him the greatest wrestler alive today. He's so fast. He's efficient. And, uh, you know, we make a lot of mentions to The Cleaner. The Cleaner was Kenny Omega's, one of Kenny Omega's gimmicks in New Japan where he was the guy Bullet Club brought in to clean up the junior division. And then 
after the juniors, he moves up to heavyweight after AJ is kicked out of Bullet Club and he ascends to the throne. Then he becomes the best bout machine. But the cleaner was the most vicious form of Kenny, but he was goofy also. You know, he's singing his own theme song and... Kenny in AEW has been very different, and not just his character, because I'm on board with the character, the the storyline of Kenny doesn't know who he is, and Kenny wants to be back in Japan, but he doesn't want to be back in Japan. But his matches, they're they're just not at the same caliber. Yeah. They're not the same quality, and he's had some pretty good opponents. So I think that this match will hopefully bring out a darker side of Kenny. I don't really care if he turns heel or not, but I want to see... Kenny with an edge. And he shows that edge when he's in the three the six man tag matches with the Young Bucks. When he when he is the elite, then he's cocky. When he was out in Hello Astoria. <laughs> Jesus Christ, these people. <laughs> um, when he was even the match against Ray Phoenix uh, for the triple A mega championship. Maybe we'll cut this out. I think so. <laughs> Um, even his match against Ray Phoenix with the AAA Mega Championship, he was definitely playing the heel. So, I hope that we see that, Kenny. I hope that we get a technical match between these guys, because I agree. I don't want to see this many death matches. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with Moxley being who he's being, but I, I'm i looking forward to us getting to see different facets of these Yeah, characters. last point. I mean, no doubt in my mind, uh, two years ago, the Okada... Kenny matches were the best. They were the most talked about matches in wrestling at that point. But, you know, unless you had access to New Japan, like you were watching it besides the match itself, you're not going to get much exposure to that side of Kenny. And I think it's, it's going to be important to now introduce that to the casual American crowd. And, you know, I think that's his character that he shown the best in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that, you know... It's one of the most important characters in wrestling today. So now it's time to, you know, get him back to the cleaner side. You don't have to call it the cleaner, but, you know, just a, get an, him back into the fold as that character. An edgier side of Kenny Omega where we can get these really great technical matches. Not just technical matches, but just really great storytelling in general. So overall, my impressions of the pay-per-view, um, I think it was good. I think it was one of the better pay-per-views they've run so far. Yeah, man. Far. I mean, each show, AEW just keeps getting better and better. And I think they're really starting to get into the groove and finding their identity. And I'm really excited for what the what 2020 has in store for them. So am I. And, um, you know, we'll see what we do from here. They've got a couple storylines they're brewing up in Dynamite now that we'll talk about uh, later on. So... The other big thing happening right now, of course, in WWE is Survivor Series and NXT TakeOver War Games. Now, uh, I would be remiss to not discuss this, though. We did have a little bit of a return this week. Did we now? We did. Uh, I don't know if you caught the new uh, analyst show on uh, Fox Sports 1 backstage. It's hosted by Renee Young and Booker T. It's a new. It's supposed to be like a play on Sports Center for WWE. Would you say that this return was shocking? No. Would you say that this return was surprising, if not oh, shocking? Yes. Oh, okay. yes. Who was it that returned on WWE backstage? Mr. CM Punk came back. Hell froze over. Well. Hell got a little brisk because he's not <laughs> fully back. But yes, AEW, uh, sorry, um, CM Punk is now back 
in the fray on WWE programming. Albeit from the Fox side, but now he is back, yes. Now, it'll be interesting to see if he returns to the ring at any point. He has not really shown an interest in doing that mm-hmm. thus far, but... He wants on... to be in good shape. Um, here's the deal. He's just there as a... Eventually, I expect him to be on every show, but they're now treating him as like a once-in-a-while analyst that will come on. Probably before the big shows, I would imagine. But, uh, fuck it, let's just do it. Over under one year, will he be back in the ring? I'm going to take the over here. I think that he at, he's he means it when he says that he's not trying to just do that. I think he's happy in this role. He doesn't have to be under creative's thumb. He can be himself. He can give the opinions he wants. But CM Punk, one of the longest reigning uh, WWE champions of all time, one of the most controversial superstars. And I don't think you bring him back into the fold just to have him talk backstage once in a while. But I, I do take him at his word that he's comfortable doing what he's doing and he's going to do it on his time. And WWE gave the blessing, so that's, that's a good sign. Because yeah. you know what? Wrestling needs him back. I, I think so. I think wrestling's a little more interesting when we have the best ever. So the NXT TakeOver has begun in earnest. The black and gold brand has laid down the gauntlet and turned Survivor Series into a triple threat for brand supremacy and just one day after war games. So... Real quick to talk about Survivor Series, give our predictions. The match at the top of the card, we're going to have Brock Lesnar versus Rey Mysterio for the WWE Championship. Now, this is the culmination of a few months' worth of storytelling in which Brock went after Rey and Dominic, Rey Mysterio's son. Rey Mysterio brings in Cain Velasquez to try and teach Brock a lesson. This blows up spectacularly in his face. Cain Velasquez is is deleted in a... Uh, Five-minute match. Uh, It's a worked MMA fight. Ray comes out after that match and starts beating the absolute hell out of Brock with a chair. Uh, Hits him with a pipe later on and challenges him. That was pretty awesome. And and Brock leaves SmackDown to go to Raw to hunt for Rey Mysterio. Um, The storyline's been pretty good. And Rey Mysterio continues to be one of the most inspiring people in WWE. I cannot believe he is this good at the age he is with the shit he has put himself through throughout the years. That's all the injuries, man. I mean, like, it's a shame that we were robbed his last WWE run before he left. You know, he would just go on these tears, and then all of a sudden he would have an ACL injury. And then, you know, he would injure his back. So we were robbed of his last good prime years in WWE. I mean, he could still go. I mean, the man is just incredible at the age he is. It's because he's been doing it for so long. I mean, I think he was 15 when he started or something ridiculous like that. But, uh, you know, it's good to see him back. It, they did they they worked this well, honestly, because they did the whole shtick where, you know, he was down on his luck and he was losing matches to Baron Corbin and all these lower card wrestlers. So they did the nice build-up back. You know, they got... Dominic back into the uh, fold. They, they utilized Dominic well, is what I should say. And uh, the whole storyline thus far has been good. I We predicted on the last show, Cain Velasquez, unfortunately, wasn't given uh, the opportunity to shine like we thought he was going to get. Uh, you know, we thought that he might have been able to utilize more of his uh, lucha skills a little more. You know, lucha things. Yeah, lucha things. But uh, you know, I mean, he apparently he's gonna get surgery and come back at a later date. So I, I'm, I'm, I hope when he gets back, they can give him a nice run. But to get back to what we were talking to, um, maybe we understand what the outcome is going to be. But I think that this is a proper build up, and it's going to be a proper match between two legends. 
I think so as well. Brock has shown a certain proclivity for working with the uh, smaller guys on the roster, his matches. at and, and honestly, not just with working with smaller guys, but at Survivor Series specifically, he's had some of his best matches mm-hmm. with Daniel Bryan, um, with AJ Styles. Also not at Survivor Series, but his match with... Um, didn't he have a match with Finn, right? He did. I think that was Survivor Series, I believe. Um, I could he, be wrong. He's been... He's worked really great. Usually Summer SummerSlam or Survivor Series is where Brock gets like his moment. Yeah, and he he worked great with the smaller guys. He has sold his ass off for Ray when it's been necessary. Ray's done the same, of course. I don't expect Brock Lesnar loses here, but I do expect a proper match. And I think that, especially with all of the buildup, we're really going to see Ray Mysterio shine in this match. Um, you'll get to see him tossed around. You'll get to see him do some flips around Brock. I think Brock wins. Please make it go longer than five minutes. I don't. I don't care if Lesnar wins, but like, I'm tired of these two-minute squashes. I really am because if you're gonna keep, I, I don't mind that they keep the belt on Brock, but like, it, the fans don't want to see that. And like, it stop getting the cheap heat. You don't need the cheap heat. They were worried that Lesnar was getting cheered too much. I understand that, but you're just getting just bad, bad cheap heat with these two-minute squashes especially afterwards if you're not going to give any credibility to a great run or a great champion like Kofi Kingston. Mm-hmm. And you just ignore it. You just, that's it. Like, we're not even going to talk about it. Well, he has, like, amnesia. Well, remember, he, talking about it one time, he crushed some pancakes in his hand. So you can tell he's angry. And yes, fine, Kofi is now champions with Big E. My issue is not that Kofi is tag team. I don't think it's a step down. I just think that we didn't we didn't address it at all. So I agree. I don't want to see that again, especially after what happened with Kofi. I think if we get something like that, um, that would be a real waste of what I think has been one of WWE's better storylines and a little underrated. Um, following that, we have The Fiend Bray Wyatt versus Daniel Bryan. Uh so Daniel Bryan, a bit is, of crossroads right now. Yeah, he doesn't know who he is. Daniel, he's put the yes. To be fair, I don't think we know who he is right now. He's put the yes movement behind him, and he also has put his eco terrorist persona behind him. It would seem he's not really a heel. He's not really a face. Right? He's he's in his tweener role right now. But he's describing it, and he described it to the Miz on Miz TV as mental instability coupled with passion um i don't love the idea of using like mental health as a crutch here for a storyline but i'm i think that he's probably blending a little bit of real life with um with his kayfabe and yeah i think he just needs to find himself again i think he needs needs to find a new role i mean the yes movement will always continue on that's gonna be a lifetime thing, but he needs to get away from that because he's not that person anymore. And that's exactly what he said, you know, if he was the Miz. And by the way, one of the better aspects of his appearance on Miz TV is that Miz and him are both faces right now. I mean, if you look at the dynamics, Daniel Bryan's teaming up with Roman Reigns, like he's not a heel anymore, but they still hate each other. And Daniel Bryan gives this incredible impassioned promo. So I, I promise not getting political here, but you know the Overton window? It's yeah. the grid with libertarian, far left. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I can't really explain it now, but like, they are not the same, but they are the same. Like, They're the just... Miz is at one side of the spectrum and then Daniel Bryan's at the other side. Yeah, of the he's spectrum. further south. Like he's, but right. they're not that, I, I agree. And I think that, I really like that they have that dynamic still going between them. 
Bray shows up as well um, with the new Universal Championship, which is now blue. Um, good move. Good move. I mean, I, it. Well, I, it didn't make sense for having. They're not going to have a red belt on SmackDown. Yeah, I don't think. Which it I was good. mistaken because I I forgot that the Universal Championship switched brands, so I thought that they changed the black belt to blue and I thought it was a little too Toys R Us because I was like what red and blue now but yeah. the universal belt did become blue I would have preferred a darker blue but I'm not going to be a stickler here so I agree and um, so Bray comes out and Bray has been targeting people that have wronged him you know that's why he went after Seth that's why he's been going after people is, is he's going after the people that have wronged him when CM Punk showed back up he posted on Twitter just I saw you because he remembers he remembers the Nexus beating him up. He remembers all of this stuff. So he comes out and he dangles the belt in front of Daniel Bryan and says, do you want to play with me? And then he does a dueling yes-no thing where the puppets come out and say yes. Daniel goes no. And eventually Daniel's like, we can do a proper fight for the Universal Championship. And he just leads this massive yes chant for minutes where he's just screaming at the top of his lungs. It's For me, this was great storytelling and it only took one promo to sell me on this. The Fiend obviously attacking uh, Daniel Bryan prior to this. Um, I predict that... Well, I'm, I'm, I think it's an easy prediction. The Fiend's not losing that strap anytime soon. But I don't think we're necessarily going to see finisher spam. I think we're going to see something a little more interesting. I think especially with Daniel Bryan... Taking the mental instability route, I think we'll see something different. Maybe we'll see some some mind games getting played between them. I wouldn't even be surprised if you see Bray Wyatt's actual personality show up. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. I have a lot of faith in Daniel Bryan and Bray Wyatt to tell a good story. Um, it's definitely going to be an incredible match. Um, I understand that Bray has like this Michael Myers dynamic going on of just like, you cannot stop this motherfucker. Which I, I appreciate, for sure, because we haven't had a character in WWE like that a lot. But they gotta watch out where they're gonna go with it, because eventually if this guy's just gonna no-sell all over the place, it's yeah. gonna get a little stale after a while. But if there's one man to pour his heart into a match like that, it's gonna be Daniel Bryan. And we're certainly, this is gonna be a good match. And for a little bit of context on why Bray is going after Daniel Bryan specifically... Uh, Daniel Bryan, back in 2014, after the disol- the um, the dissolvement of Team Hell No, found himself at a crossroads, and this was at the height of him being called a B plus player by Triple H, and uh, which was a little bit of mix of kayfabe and reality, where Vince legitimately didn't see him as a main event guy, um, and he did because he's incredible, and he ends up joining the Wyatt family back when Bray Wyatt is a cult- brother. <laughs> when he's cult leader Bray and he starts you know, wearing jumpsuits. And it has this really incredible uh, payoff at like an episode of Raw where they're having a, 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 a cage match. And Bray is basically saying, Brian, I need you to like, Daniel, I need you to let me punish you. Like you're not doing what I'm telling you. And he outstretches his arms and Daniel's like, come on, hit me. And then... He starts fighting himself in the midst of this match, and eventually he leads a yes chant, and he betrays uh, Bray. Which is probably, at that point, probably the biggest pop from the crowd in a while on Monday Night Raw. And Michael Cole and the commentary booth did a great job of letting that moment just exist. 
No commentary over it until Daniel Bryan started mounting offense. Up to that point, they were silent and just let the crowd overwhelm you with just how loud they were. Literally everybody in that room doing the yes chant when yes. Daniel was on top of the cage. I remember that well. And it's a nice that they did a nice callback here with that. And it was it was really great. And so I think we're going to get a great match out of it. I think The Fiend wins, but I don't expect finisher spam. I think if there are two guys in the business that can tell a great story together... Um, it's going to be those those two. And I do think that they've given the uh, Bray Wyatt a fair amount of creative control over his character and his stories. So I predict we're going to get a good match out of it. So moving right along real quickly down the list, we're going to have Becky Lynch versus Bailey versus Shayna Baszler, right? For those who are unaware, Survivor Series pits Raw versus SmackDown, at least it has in of the modern era, champion versus champion. So this time, now that we've thrown NXT into the match, we have a lot of triple threats. So we've got the man, Becky Lynch, versus Bailey, now in her uh, fully fled, fully formed heel role, versus Shayna Baszler, um, probably the strongest booked woman in NXT outside of Asuka, um, and in general in WWE. I mean, Shayna, this is a reign of terror for her. Um, so they've been doing a lot of Shayna coming out. And, and just a badass look, man. No, yeah, she's got a badass look. Jesus. <laughs> um, and Shayna is, is really, really good in the ring. These are these are three very talented women. And um, obviously what makes this cool about having NXT in this is a lot of the champions right now were people from NXT. Becky Lynch and Bailey, obviously part of the four horsewomen with Charlotte Flair and Sasha Banks. Um, kind of creating the women's division as you as we see it today. So the storyline here for a lot of these matches is very simple. It's just three people fighting to see who is the best champion. Um, and that's kind of the extent of it. You know, Bailey came out on an episode of NXT and beat up Shayna. Shayna shows up and yeah, beats up I mean, Bailey. Let's, let's diverge for just a second here. How do you feel about Bailey's buildup thus far as a heel? So I like Bailey's heel character. Me too. I know it's a little controversial. Um, I don't think it's controversial. I think it's a long time coming. I would have rathered it come between her and Sasha, but I get what they're doing. I Yeah, I mean, I think that um, Bailey's initial, like, I'm still a role model heel was really good. It was, you know, more akin to, like, a Bo Dallas, like, I'm the I'm the good guy here, but, but I'm not, but I'll still hit people with chairs. Um, and I think that when she lost the belt to Charlotte and then she's telling the crowd to shut up, she's telling the ref to get away from her, like, the whole thing, and then she comes out with this hard rock like butt rock theme <laughs> she's got different <laughs> hair um i think that it's been really well done i think her character is good because she's just like i'm gonna elevate the roster and that's why and like i'm a badass mm-hmm. and i appreciate that i don't think that they're really doing her justice like she's being a little bit of a chicken shit in a lot of ways which i don't like i would have preferred her to be a more like Shayna esque heel where she doesn't care about cheating but she'll still kick the crap out of you but Overall, I like her character. I hope they don't take the title off of her um, anytime soon. Um, I'm content with her reign right now. I th- And hopefully we'll get her versus Sasha. I don't care what the dynamic these is. These titles aren't on the line, are they? No, these okay. are just these are exhibition matches for brand supremacy. Um, I Realistically, I think Becky Lynch probably wins this match. But it would not surprise me to see... Shayna come out on top. So I think Shayna is going to win this match. I don't think they're going to wait for her to have a one-on-one with Becky, but I think uh, Bailey will take the pin here. Although I do I do like Bailey this far. I'm glad that they were able to build her up in such a quick amount of time for the payoff right here. 
But I think Shayna is definitely going to come out on top with this one because I think that, you know, she is definitely the future. And, you know, I think that the future heel. And uh, I didn't really like her clan that she associates with, but that's that's her time to build up. But I think that Shayna will definitely be the one to come out on top here. And an interesting aspect of this match is that WWE has been hinting towards a four horsewomen versus four horsewomen match for some time. Shayna Baszler down in NXT is with uh, two other MMA fighters, Jessamyn Duke and Maria Shafir. Um, they are all also friends with Ronda Rousey. Uh, Ronda and Shayna specifically, I think, are closest. I have an issue with that mainly because Jessamyn Duke and Maria Shafir are terrible in the ring. Um, and I don't think they're Yeah, I mean, they just haven't had enough time. Like, they just keep introducing them as like, well, they're the four horsewomen of the MMA. It's like, well, we don't know who they are. Like, how about you give them some matches? Someone told me that uh, Jessamyn Duke was uh, Matt Riddle's sister, and I kind of believed her for a little bit. <laughs> just Riddle and a little... You know, but like, I feel that for you to book a, a four horsewomen versus four horsewomen women match with those four is a little upsetting to me because... Sasha Banks, Charlotte Flair, Bailey, and Becky Lynch. You're talking about four of the most decorated women in WWE's history. I don't think it's hyperbole to say they may be some of the most important women in the WWE's history. And if we're talking modern history, they are the four. And they Let's el- be straight about it. They're marquee names. We no longer I don't mean to sound sexist by saying this, but we no longer look at uh, let's put it this way: women can headline a PBV now, and it'd be fine. I mean, and you know, we had Becky Lynch headline WrestleMania. The reality is not on the women either; it's on creative for coming up with constructive storylines and constructive matches for the women, something that they finally deserve, and not cringy broad panties matches. I'm I, I so mean, glad we're past that era. It's not even just creative. It's I don't think might not be, but (laughs) I don't think it's at all political to say that women have been treated as afterthoughts in all of professional wrestling forever. Um, You can attribute small portions of that, like in WWE, WWF, to like Mae Young, right, and just having a a stranglehold on the division and making sure, like, oh, sorry, Moolah. I'm sorry. Yes, we we love Mae Young. My apologies. Sorry, Mae. Um, great moolah. Just having a stranglehold on the division, pushing everyone below her, just a very controversial figure. But also, it's a male-dominated profession, and fans have not taken kindly to women at various points. And so we're putting them in bra and panty matches, and where they're just like glorified models out there. And that's no disrespect to the women throughout wrestling history that have been terrific. Um, you know, I loved Trish Stratus growing up, like as a performer. I still like Trish. I'm Stratus glad she's as able to do the crossover, but you know, we we still had good wrestlers of that age. I mean, hey, China for what she was, she but, was a fucking badass. I mean, you also had Alundra Breeze a little before her, or Medusa, and then you know, Jacqueline was a good worker, and you also had Ivory who's a good worker, but they took a back seat because they weren't. You know, the issue was never that the women were not talented or not dedicated. Right, right. The issue was that people didn't want it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, all of the promotions played into that. These four women, the four horsewomen, are the most important women in wrestling. Um, they're very responsible for a lot of what's happening here. And so I don't love the fact that we have two unknowns and then Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey being like, oh, they're just as, this is just as important. But 
that is a fun way to start this is to have Shayna actually be in a match with these two. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see Shayna uh, pin Bailey um, on this or, you know, put her in the uh, Caribou to Clutch. But uh, I think Becky probably wins. Um, then moving on to the other matches down the card, we've got, as of right now, AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura versus Roderick Strong. So we've got the phenomenal, phenomenal AJ the artist Shinsuke, the messiah of the backbreaker. There's no real storyline here. This is just a match. Um, obviously, there is history between AJ and Nakamura if they keep those two, um, if they keep the belts on them. Um, I had heard rumors that there were plans to take the belt off of Nakamura. There's also history with Roderick Strong, too, just from back in Ring of Honor. and with, Yeah, I guess with AJ, yeah. But, um, um, you know, I really thought a couple of years ago they were going to give Nakamura... Like, the push. When he beat John Cena. After he won the Rumble. After he won the Rumble, he beat John Cena in that fantastic SmackDown match. And then we got the payoff with him and AJ Styles that ended in a nut kick. But supposedly this is where Nakamura, he's here to ride out the remainder of his career. He's just surfing. And it's fine. He, he, He deserves that. I want to say Nakamura wins here. I want to say that he gets elevated back. He's, he's the hottest goddamn thing with that entrance a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And now with this new entrance, and it's just, it kind of killed it for me. For yeah. Him. So I want to see him get elevated back to that level. But I think he's just going to serve as the, the guy who just keeps the match moving in here. The true star in this match is probably going to be Roderick Strong. Yeah. He's an incredible worker. Um, Roderick down... With, I shouldn't say down, because NXT is the third brand here. But Roderick Strong with the Undisputed Era, um, he's put on match after match, just incredible matches. He's really, really a terrific in-ring performer. All three of them are. You know, Nakamura's gotten some criticism for being lazy in WWE, but when he wants to put it on, he is still just as incredible as he was in Japan. AJ Styles, obviously one of the best of his generation, um, I think we're going to get a good, hard-hitting affair. Wouldn't be shocked to see Roderick Strong go over here because, again, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see most NXT people go over. Um, you know, the OC also, you know, with AJ Styles and Gallows and Anderson going down to NXT, I'm sure you'll see Gallows and Anderson play into this. You'll probably see Sami Zayn play into this. You'll probably see Undisputed Era showing up. So um, I personally, I think Roderick's going to take this one. I think Roddy gets the pin. That'd be cool to see. I think Roddy gets the pin on AJ. Honestly, um, wow. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a hot take, but I'm making it. Um, I think it'll be a good match. I think a lot of these matches are good matches on paper. There's just no real story, but that's yeah. okay. Sometimes you just can have a good match for a good match sake. Um, then we have the tag match between the Viking Raiders, uh, New Day, and Undisputed Era, and. Specifically, when we say Undisputed Era, we're talking about Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. Viking Raiders have spent the last couple of weeks just beating down local talent, but they are currently the Raw SmackDown, uh, the Raw SmackDown, the Raw Tag Team Champions. Uh, New Day, currently SmackDown Tag Team Champions, and Undisputed Era are something like three or four time NXT champions. They're one of the most decorated uh, tag teams down in NXT. Um, Again, this is a total toss up. But I think Viking Raiders take this one. And I think that Viking Raiders p- get a pin on Undisputed Era because there's history there with it down in NXT. Um, 
Viking Raiders are incredible. They've gone through quite a few different iterations of their characters, but at their core, they're just some Viking dudes that like beating people they up. They were War Machine, I believe. They were War Machine in Japan, then there were War Raiders, then there were Viking Warriors, then now, now they're Viking Raiders. And New Day? New Day's Ivar is just a enigma, man. That man is fucking 300 plus, and he could fly off the Doing top. Doing cartwheels. Like nothing, man. He's incredible. They were really exciting. Like... The gimmick is the gimmick. I mean, it's a little too 90s for me, but I mean, if they just work like that, who gives a shit, man? I they really... Just, like, there's just two hosses in the ring, just... Just beating people up. Yeah, there you go, man. Just, That's all you need sometimes. Just throwing people at one another. Um, For anybody unfamiliar with their work, their match between with them and Aleister Black and Ricochet at, I think it was TakeOver New York earlier this year and i would even say go a little before that new japan weren't they like the first gaijin like tag team champions in a while i'm i won't pretend to be very familiar with their work in new japan so i can't make a recommendation i believe but so they, i could be wrong on that but they did have a nice uh japan run before they came over here i know that they had a pretty solid run and they were taken seriously but as far as their nxt work that match at takeover new york was really something special i recommend everybody check it out um so i think viking raiders probably take this one um and then we have now, this is probably going to all get figured out this week because the pay-per-views are next weekend. But right now we've got, you know, the actual battles for brand supremacy of we've got Raw's team of Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre, Kevin Owens, Randy Orton, and Ricochet versus Roman Reigns, Mustafa Ali, Chad Gable, Baron Corbin, and then NXT is going to have a team who I don't think they've announced yet. Um, It's kind of hard to make a prediction. I think it's going to be... Uh... Diakovic and uh, Keith Lee, I believe. Well, I'm they, guessing. You think it's going to be the whole well, War to... Games click? It's gonna. It's gonna yeah, be Dominic Dajakovic and Keith I mean, Lee they and gotta, Tommaso Ciampa. They got to. Uh, they got to get. So, I mean, that's who I could see it being. I, I can I don't know really else who it would be. It'll most likely be those guys. Um, maybe maybe Dream. It could. Yeah, Velveteen Dream's not doing anything right now at War at War Games, so I could see him showing up. It's hard to make a prediction on a card that hasn't been figured out yet. Um, well, we'll find out Wednesday, I'm sure. We'll find out Wednesday. So, not too much else we can really say. Yeah. You know, they're invading one another's shows right now. We'll leave that up to you, the listener. <laughs> I'm happy to see a match involving Seth and Roman. They have really great chemistry together when they're facing one another. Um, Hell yeah, man. I, lo- I love this role that Roman's been playing. Just not taking the back seat, but letting him just settle into the upper mid-card and not... He's been just, great. Like... The disservice that they did him was just sticking title at like these meaningless title runs to where it's the fact that he didn't even realize he was champion. You know what I mean? So let him just settle in and be the badass, you know, leader in the back and like, you know, him really representing the SmackDown brand well and getting him the hell away from Baron Corbin. <laughs> Which he can't do because he's on the same team as Baron Damn Corbin. <laughs> as is Chad Gable, Shorty G. Uh, but I'm not Shorty calling him. I'm not doing it. I don't care. I don't care if he loves Shorty the gimmick. Shorty G! I don't care if he loves the gimmick or not. I'm not doing it. Um, I'm sure it'll be a great match. Yeah. Um, that's all I have on it. And then uh, there's going to be a women's match as well, which is even less settled. We know that it's going to be Sasha Banks, Mella, uh, Lacey Evans, Dana Brooke. And then there's going to be Raw and NXT teams as well. Again, those are not settled yet. Um, so that's the Survivor Series card. I think it's going to be a good... I think Survivor Series has been fun for the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Now, the night before is NXT TakeOver War Games. 
every War Games that has happened, and this is, I believe, the third iteration that NXT has done. War Games was previously used by, it was WCW, right? Did the original yes, War so Games. Dusty Rhodes' idea to have a match where you had two rings uh, inside the two steel cages with a top over it. And just have five-on-five teams just go and beat the hell out of each other. And it translated really well. Uh, one of uh, Meltzer's famous five-star matches is a War Games match that I recommend everybody goes on the network and checks out. Uh, so uh, so there's definitely a history behind there. Um, and it's just a historic match. It really, really goes over well, especially in the current product. And which match is it that Meltzer gave a five-star rating to? So I would have to look this up real quick if you want to just keep talking about uh, the War Games card. Okay, which is going to take all of two minutes because there is not a lot there right now. So War Games is usually a good opportunity for NXT to take some of the feuds that have been happening throughout the year and just put them all in one ring and just have people beat the hell out of each other, and it's worked thus far. So the big story here is we're going to have Undisputed Era. Uh, We're going to have... NXT champion Adam Cole, NXT tag team champions Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish, and NXT North American champion Roderick Strong against former NXT champion Tommaso Ciampa, uh, the Limitless Keith Lee, Dominic Dajakovic, and another person who is yet to be determined. So the storylines here is Tommaso Ciampa was one of the longer reigning NXT champions in their history. Had to give it up after a neck injury took him out of commission. So he never lost the the title. It was taken from him, uh, leading to the series of matches between Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano, which ultimately Adam Cole was victorious over. Um, Keith Lee and Dominic Dajakovic, two hosses, very athletic. They're incredible. Um, I love them. They've had a series of matches together. I think they had a, a match at like Evolve or something a few years ago, or it could have even been like PWG. Um, that was pretty well respected, and they've had a bunch of matches on NXT lately, including a triple threat with Roderick Strong. Keith Lee, <laughs> Keith Lee, whoop whoop. Uh, where they've had a triple threat with Keith Lee, Dominic Dajakovic, and Roderick Strong for the North American Championship. That was great. That happened a couple of weeks ago. So Dominic Dajakovic and Keith Lee, their storylines have really just been that you know they want to prove who's the biggest best guy in NXT. There's no real animosity. They just you know that's the storyline they're going. With. So it's easy for them to become allies. Tommaso Ciampa came back definitely as a face. He's got some heelish tendencies, but he's not Blackheart. He's not the the piece of shit beating up Johnny Gargano left and right. He's not that guy right now. I think he just is the current number one representative of the NXT brand and everything that's associated with it. So he doesn't necessarily have to be a face or a heel. But if you are an NXT fan... You are looking at him as the captain of, of everything, right? Yeah, now. you got to think it's him, Gargano, or um, Adam Cole, and Gargano is not going to be at War Games due to a neck injury that he sustained. So you're just going to see these. We're, we'll see who shows up to this match. Honestly, I'm not sure who is going to be the fourth person. Velveteen Dream seems like as good a, a guess as any. You got to think they want him on the card somewhere, and he hasn't been around in a while. Yeah, I mean, he has to be somewhere. In the show, if, he, if this is going to be brand supremacy, you got to show one of your shining stars here. So, you know, it, it, it could be someone like him. Um, either way, I see Undisputed Era losing this because I think the whole point of this is we're going to get Tommaso Ciampa and Adam Cole for the NXT Championship. 
Um, so ultimately, I think that you'll probably get a Champa pin on Adam Cole or someone else from Undisputed Era. I'm looking forward to the match. It's going to be great. All right, so let me bring back to my point earlier that I brought up of the uh, the old WCW War Games matches. I got five stars from Meltzer because it was actually two. Oh. That's why I was getting a little confused. Okay. So the first one I was thinking of, it was 1991 War Games. It was the Four Horsemen versus Sting, Brian Pillman, and the Steiner Brothers. Yes, you know what? This does sound familiar, yeah. Awesome match. The second one was uh, 1992 War Games. It was Sting Squadron, Sting's Squadron versus the Dangerous Alliance. And the Dangerous Alliance was made up of uh, Larry Zabisco, Rick Rude, Nikita Koloff, and a young Steve Austin. Oh, with hair. With hair. Um, the War Games gimmick is great. And so NXT is now going to have the first ever women's War Games match. Now, this is a little bit more of a clusterfuck than the men's match, uh, mainly because you have some people on teams that I'm not really sure why they're on the same team. And it's it's a little bit how the WWE books heels and faces as everyone's just friends with each other if their alignment is similar. So this match is going to be uh, Kaylee Ray, who is current NXT UK Women's Champion. She beat Tony Storm for it not too long ago. Uh, Shayna Baszler, Bianca Belair, and Io Shirai versus Rhea Ripley, Mia Yim, Tegan Knox, and Candice LeRae. Um, the players here are, you know, like I said, Kaylee Ray, current UK Women's Champion, uh, Shayna Baszler, current U, uh, current NXT Women's Champion, longest reigning, one of the longer reignings of all time, uh, Bianca Belair, who has been with NXT a very long time, um, never had a, she's had a few title opportunities against Shayna, she's lost. But she is probably pound for pound the best athlete NXT has, um, at least one of them. She's amazing. So I'm a big uh, Ray Ripley fanboy right now. I think she has the look. Man. She does. She, yeah, badass in the ring. Man. She really does. And uh, Io Shirai, who's currently oh, a heel. Io Shirai is a legendary figure in Joshi wrestling. She is absolutely phenomenal. NXT knows her as the uh, the genius of the sky. Um, and Rhea Ripley, former NXT UK Women's Champion, Mia Yim, who is a very well-known uh, woman on the indies. I'm not really sure which promotions she was biggest uh, She on. came up in TNA as Jade. Okay. Um, and then Tegan Knox, who in the past has teamed with Dakota Kai. I think they're called Team Kick. Um, very talented. Well, she... Had a couple matches with Rhea and I think Kaylee Ray. I think there's some history there in NXT UK. And then Candice LeRae, who is a very, very well-respected woman down in the indies. Uh, she's married to Johnny Gargano. She's really good friends with Joey Ryan uh, over an Impact, Mr. Dick Flip. Um, now, my issue with this match is that Bianca Belair and Io Shirai have both fought Shayna Baszler numerous times and do not like her. Mm-hmm. I understand that like they also don't... but. Like, Io Shirai and Candice LeRae have a storyline because Io Shirai turned heel on Candice LeRae. So that's fine. Yeah, I think they're going to put the, the face heel dynamic in the backseat now because it's all about brand supremacy. Brand supremacy. So don't worry about that aspect of it, but you are definitely right about that. It's a little annoying, you know, because, like, same thing with Rhea and Kaylee Ray. You know, some history there. Um, Mia Yim has history with Shayna and Bianca. Uh, I don't really care for Mia Yim. All that much, if I'm being honest. She's a good worker. I think, you know, people don't really... People still know her as Jade from TNA. She hasn't really had much opportunity to shine besides 
her current time on the new uh, NXT, not new NXT product, but since NXT has been on USA. And uh, she was also in the Mae Young Classic. Mm-hmm. So I think she needs a little more opportunity than what she's been given. However, I think she is a solid worker, and I would recommend checking out some of her work in I, TNA if you have the time. I probably should find some of their other stuff. But she did have a very good match with Io Shirai um, on this most recent NXT. It was a ladder match. Very brutal. Um, I think that the face has probably come out on top with this because we'll probably see Rhea Ripley... Uh, submit or pin Shayna Baszler and that'll lead to the inevitable match between those two and I think Rhea Ripley has good a shot as anybody thus far of taking the belt from Shayna once and for all I think it should have been Bianca Belair I hope that Bianca Belair gets a reign soon she'll get I don't think she's gonna reign but she'll definitely get a run soon uh, just uh she's gonna she's definitely gonna be a a top build performer in, I, in I, the coming years 100% I really hope so because she's way too talented to not so i wanted to keep everything uniform here but i just remembered something um whether or not it's going to be on this show or it's going to be a survivor series let us not forget who may show up and that i'm talking about walter and the imperium yes because they to see walter on monday night raw despite the fact that the match ended in, in a predictable screwy finish was just freaking awesome because walter has the look i think he's going to be may i be crazy in saying it he's going to be the top heel performer one day in wwe if they do it right i see no reason why not vince loves his big boys and walter is a big boy and And i'm glad that you know imperium is a nice group of guys especially since you know guys with alexander wolf because they just said we don't want to deal with Sammy anymore, which I get because, you know, I think it was nice for the NXT product at the time. But let's be honest, uh, Eric Young is not a young man, and I think he's transitioning more to uh, a backstage role. I think they wanted to give Killian Dane his own run eventually because he's just this big, menacing mm-hmm. uh, wrestler. And uh, Alexander Wolf was going, I believe, back to Germany, his home country. But they said, no, let's, we're going to start by next to UK. Let's repackage you. But also has uh, Fabian Eichner. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other individual who's escaping my mind right now, I think he was in TM61. It's, uh, damn, who is it? Isn't it? Yeah, it's Fabian Eichner. And... Well, point being, Imperium is... Uh, been booked very strong since coming together. They've got a lot of history back on the Indies as well. Um, and, you know, I, I agree. I think Walter will probably play into these things somewhere. Marcel Walter. There Sorry. we go. Um, it also, you know, you bringing up Walter showing up on Monday Night Raw reminds me that real quick, uh, Adam Cole went over clean on Daniel Bryan a couple weeks ago on mm-hmm. SmackDown and had a really good match with Seth that ultimately got fucked up with Undisputed Era showing up, but uh, that's why I think NXT is going to be booked really strong here, because I think they can afford for people to lose to them. They really want to prop up NXT as being right. a big they deal. can afford, uh, you know, current WWE roster members losing to them, and it would look believable, honestly. Absolutely. And uh, finally, the last two matches that we know of are Finn Balor versus Matt Riddle. Uh, Matt Riddle's kind of stepping into Johnny Gargano's role because Finn was the one that attacked, you know, Johnny was the one that Finn attacked first. Finn, Finn Balor, uh, one of the most decorated NXT champions of all time, um, legendary 
in Japan. I mean, you know, Finn Balor is Finn Balor. He's incredible. And him coming back to NXT really brought some star power that I don't think they necessarily needed, but it's it's welcomed. Uh, once Gargano got hurt, he started going after Matt Riddle instead. Matt Riddle is probably my favorite person in NXT right now, but I'm not sure I see a way where Finn Balor doesn't come out on top. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good match. I don't think Matt Riddle looks weak by losing to Finn Balor, and I think that hopefully we'll see... You know, I'm I'm really looking forward to the in-ring return of the real rock and roller, you know, and get back to the Prince Devitt I think that's with Bullet going to be the true purpose of this match is to get the fans reintroduced to the real rock and roller, Prince Devitt, and, you know, just that side of him. And it's fine, you know, Matt Riddle is going to be a superstar one day, so it's not, I mean, hell, he's already a superstar right now, to be honest with you, but, you know... He could be, I could just see it playing out to where, like, you know, Finn wins the match and then, like, Matt Riddle is almost like, you know, like, bro, who is this guy? Like, you know what I mean? Like, he, <laughs> yeah. he's eager at the challenge ahead or he just gets the shit beat out of him. Yeah. But I think it's definitely going to be a great match, 100%. And I, I think Finn goes over. And the last match is going to be Pete, well, it hasn't been announced yet, but it's most likely going to be Killian Dane versus Pete Dunne versus Damian Priest. This is a very, very basic story of just Damian Priest coming into NXT wanting to prove himself. Goes after Pete Dunne, you know, longest reigning NXT UK champion of all time. Um, the bruiserweight. And Killian Dane gets involved because Pete Dunne hurt his fingies. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so now, now we'll have a triple threat. They all beat the hell out of each other. Um, it's going to be a good Haas match. I, I take it for what it is. I don't think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be the, the fourth card. The yeah, fourth it's it's card. it'll be a fun match. I love Pete Dunne. He's one of my favorite people out there. And I think that um, probably they have Damian Priest go over. Um, sure. They're building him up. I think that's probably the purpose here. But I would, if I had to guess somebody else, I would think Killian Dane before Pete Dunne. I don't think Pete Dunne needs the win. I don't think he's hurt by a loss. Certainly not. I think he needs to go back to NXT UK and then maybe go out there another title run. Yeah. So I, I ultimately will give it to Damian Priest. And uh, I'm sure once Wednesday comes around, we'll see a little more happen with this card. But War Games promises to be a lot of fun. It always is. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a really great weekend between that and Survivor Series. And finally, we're going to come to our favorite segment, Legend Killer. What do you got for us today, Ryan? All right, Damien, describe what you see in this picture. <laughs> okay, so I am looking at a very large person in a green, like with, with candy cane sleeves, full body suit, covered in tinsel. This is like some low budget fucking Grinch live action horror show oh, shit. Yes, it is. Um, okay. This what? is the Christmas creature. The Christmas creature. And the Christmas creature was played by the legendary current mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee, Glenn Jacobs, or as you may know him at home, Kane. The big red machine? Why is he so green? So what? We, <laughs> what is, why is this the route that they went with this very large person? This is a very, as it should have been, a very short-lived character, a product of good old corny, Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling back in the early 90s. It was a holiday, just menacing figure 
and I use that in the most lightest of terms, uh, that they wanted to ship out for one episode against good old Jerry the King Lawler in an episode. The fun fact about this was is that uh, Glenn Jacobs' mom actually made the costume for this. I mean, you know, the costume is clearly low budget. I mean, it, it kind of looks like Spider-Man's uh, suit at the beginning of the first It looks like Spider-Man. a Christmas splinter, almost, it, from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> um, he... Is this, bef- so is this before or after his dentist gimmick? This must be before, right? It's before, yeah. So this Smoky Mountain Wrestling was kind of treated as like as OVW was, as NXT currently is. So this was like kind of like where he got his uh, you know his chops. And then after this is when he came into the early 90s run. Kane, if you may not know, was fake Diesel, the Unabomber. Huh. And then he became Dr. Isaac Yankum before uh-huh. settling into his Kane character. Um, which, by the way, I'm... So I have a match set up for this. and Yeah, let's talk about Kane, man. But I want to, real quick, just as an aside, can you believe the absolute fucking sheer balls on Jim Cornette to shit on someone like Joey Ryan for the dick flip? Oh, God. Or yes. Chuck Taylor for the invisible hand grenade? And he came up with that abomination. Oh, we need... We need a goddamn fucking... We, we need a Christmas monster. Come on, King. <laughs> Put him into... Get him with the pile driver. Can you what what are we doing here? Why can wrestling not It serves purpose. You know what I mean? And, but here's my thing, right? I ain't mad at it. Go ahead. Have fucking Jerry the King Lawler fight a giant Christmas monster. What do I give a shit? Let Joey Ryan flip people listen, around listen, with his listen. dick. We will be here all day. Yeah, right. You're right. You're absolutely right. The, the, uh, <laughs> the ethos of Jim Cornette. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> Slicker than come on a gold tooth. Slicker than come on a gold tooth. What a line by him. <laughs> Alright, so Kane. Kane was introduced slowly in a storyline after Paul Bearer and Undertaker had split. Uh, Undertaker was feuding with Mankind at the time, and basically Paul Bearer wanted to reunite with him. Um, And he said, if you don't, I'm going to reveal your darkest secret. It started hinting that one of Undertaker's family members that he thought had died in a childhood in, in a fire when he was a child in a funeral home may have, in fact, still been alive. Um, And... Eventually, this person does, in fact, show up. Now, this is after Undertaker does reluctantly show up with Paul Bear, and he, he gets back with him, and Paul Bear is being, like, a real, real asshole to him. And uh, this leads up to a match at Royal Rumble between Shawn Michaels and, uh, and Undertaker. I'm sorry, that one's not at Royal Rumble. It's at the first Hell in a Cell match at Bad Blood in your house. Uh, might be... I mean, the, the Undertaker-Mankind Hell in a Cell match is just its own thing. But if you're talking about other Hell in a Cell matches, this might be my favorite. Uh, you know, this is, we're talking peak Shawn Michaels, peak Undertaker. And Pyro comes out and this massive, massive human in a red mask comes out and screws Undertaker, costs him this match against Shawn Rips Michaels. Rips the door. Rips <laughs> the fucking door off of the Hell in a Cell and just tosses it aside and goes to the ring. So they would feud over the next couple of months. Kane alongside Paul Bear, who is apparently Kane's father, because Undertaker and Kane's mom had well, an Paul affair. Paul Bear was the uh, was the funeral director at Kane and Undertaker's parents' funeral home. So uh, they start feuding. Undertaker had made a promise to his parents that he was never going to fight his own flesh and blood. So him and Kane feud, but he's refusing. Well, you know, burning him was bad enough. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And he's refusing to fight him. Uh, He's not taking responsibility for the fire. Paul Bearer is saying it's Undertaker's fault. 
Eventually, Undertaker has a match against Shawn Michaels again at Royal Rumble, this time for the WWF Championship. Uh, Kane interferes again, screws him out of the championship, and locks him in a sarcophagus, which he then sets on fire. Undertaker would return afterwards, coming out of the sarcophagus, and if their lightning strikes it, and says, screw it, you know, I'm going to fight you now. So this is at WrestleMania 14, right? Um, This is in a Boston crowd, and... Pete Rose comes out first to introduce them. Legendary Pete Rose. And uh, Pete Rose is healing it up with the Boston crowd. And then Kane comes out and gives him a tombstone and, oh, God, the humanity. And then Undertaker comes out, you know, surrounded by druids. And the two go at it immediately from from the drop of the hat. And it's clear that Kane is bigger and harder to put down. Uh, Undertaker is is doing whatever he can. He's doing all of his big moves and he's hitting them left and right and nothing's happening. Kane's really not going down at all and he gets put under defensive. The whole time Paul Bearer is mocking him, you know, it's all, it's one big joke. Kane eventually hits a choke slam for a near fall, reverses a tombstone into his own tombstone. Undertaker kicks out. The whole match is really, really great. Um, yeah, I mean, just as like work rate wise you know if we're talking about how the two like they have great chemistry immediately you're just two big ass guys going at it um but the whole lead up is very good undertaker comes out with this black teardrop and he's very clearly upset that he has to fight his brother his brother is this maniac that doesn't care and paul bearer is probably the one of the most entertaining managers of all time so it's really just fun to hear him yell at people the whole time. Oh, yes. um so it looks like the dead man's gonna get put down for good uh eventually he's able to get the upper hand and deliver a choke slam into a tombstone getting the one two nothing kane kicks out this was a big deal obviously taker hits a leg drop and then hits another tombstone kane kicks out again now at this point the crowd is losing their minds as is probably everyone watching at home at the time Nobody kicks out of not just one tombstone, but two. It's just not a thing. And the whole time, Paul Bear is in the background. Damn you, dead man! Damn you, straight to hell! Uh, it's it's so fucking great. Uh, eventually hits another tombstone and, and defeats his brother. Now afterwards, Paul Bear comes out and starts kicking Undertaker with like the weakest oh kicks God. I've ever seen. <laughs> Undertaker punches him and but then Kane gets up and hits him with a chair a bunch of times and uh just beats the crap out of him, hits a tombstone onto the chair. Now, the match itself was a lot of fun. It's probably the most memorable match of Kane's career in a in a long list of really great matches that he's had. The Money in a Bank match, um, the Elimination Chamber match, the Royal Rumble where he eliminated like fifteen people Mm -hmm. but this is probably the one including drew carey including drew carey this is probably the one you're going to remember though because it was a really good match leading you know with a really good story behind it cage first run was really something else i mean that was the the beginning of my wrestling fandom and kane kane's entrance in kane's you know really um work weight throughout that was just i was scared I was really scared as a child to watch this man, and it yeah. was just really fear-inducing. And honestly, one of the most legendary first runs in a company, 100%. Because Undertaker, for me, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that like I, like childhood me loved Undertaker. I loved Kane. Because Undertaker, when he came out, was obviously back in the mm-hmm. 80s. I wasn't born yet. Kane is the monster I remember. Yeah. The pyro. And, and also, like when I really started getting into wrestling, Undertaker was already, you know, big evil so he was kind of sillier 
Oh, um, yeah. The second half of the motorcycle gimmick. Yeah. Um, but, so this, they would continue to feud after this match. Um, and eventually, it would result in Kane beating Undertaker on Raw to become number one contender for the WWF Championship and would win it off of good old Stone Cold in a first blood match at King of the Ring which he dropped the next night to Stone Cold. Because for as good as Kane's been, Kane never really had like a prolonged championship. Well, it's a ring. shame that match got really overshadowed by the Hell in a Cell match between Taker and Mankind, as rightfully so. But yeah, yeah it's really it's really funny to think about that during Kane's run under the mask, he only had like one heavyweight title during all of that. Yeah. He didn't need the heavyweight title by any means, but you know... I feel like now, if that character existed these days, you would just immediately attach the title to him. But he didn't need it. It wasn't a necessary part of his character to legitimize him because he was, was Braun just a big he ass was, motherfucker. Yeah, he was Braun Strowman before Braun Strowman. He was yeah. the prototype. People like him in big shows set the stage for big men that like don't really need the belt to still be viewed as a big He's deal. Absolutely fucking jacked, dude. In that um, suit was just like the one arm exposed. Oh, very scary. Yeah. and the bicep is the size of my freaking head. <laughs> the last ramification uh, is that. Kane and Undertaker had very briefly gotten together while they were feuding before Kane turned on him. But after this, they would reluctantly join up and then they would become the Brothers of Destruction, one of the most well-known tag teams of that era. Um, They had really great chemistry together, both, you know, facing each other and outside. So the match itself at WrestleMania is really great, has a great storyline. But it did, you know, it's cool to look back on it and see that, you know, that got Kane his first belt. Off of Stone Cold, when Stone Cold was red hot, um, even with him dropping it the next day, and seeing the Brothers of Destruction, they would win the Tag Team Championships a couple of times. And uh, this was very early in Kane's, in that gimmick. So it legitimized him immediately. And it's not that easy, I think, to play a role like that, where he could have been seen as very goofy, and nobody could have cared about this. And Undertaker had already been doing this a couple years now. Um, but their match was terrific. All of their matches were terrific. They really, they just, they threw everything into their their gimmicks together. One of the best synergies in modern wrestling history, Kane and Undertaker, 100%. So, you know, it's it's really cool to look back and see that that was the match that kind of put Kane on the map. Um, and to think that it all started with an idea from Jim Cornette to put him in some tinsel and get piled drive by the King. Truly remarkable. So as we come up to the end here of episode two, uh, we'd like to talk about what we've been listening to lately. Uh, now, Ryan did some cool things in the last couple of weeks. I sure did. What did you do, Ryan? So it's not necessarily what I was listening to, but it's what I saw. And uh, I had a good run of, first off, it was Dead and Company, uh, the legendary remnants of the Grateful Dead, Bob Weir, Bill Kreutzmann, Mickey Hart, along with the legendary Mr. Johnny Mayer, Johnny Checkers, along with uh, O'Teal Burbage, who was the Allman Brothers bassist, and, and Jeff Chimenti. And John Mayer, by the way, is such an incredible guitar player. Ooh, that boy can play. Yeah. It, that man is really something. Um, how was that show? Oh, it was great. It was fucking amazing just to hang out with all the old deadheads. And honestly, it was just... What made this show great for me was to see the Nassau Coliseum. And Nassau Coliseum has a rich history with the dead. They played there over 40 times. So it was nice to uh, just feel the same sentiments that the older deadheads saw the dead at this, you know. The Coliseum, it's, it's a 
they redid it. Don't get me wrong, it, but it's a piece of shit barn, and but it's our <laughs> piece of shit barn, and it was nice to get home in five minutes. Let's be honest. Oh yeah, absolutely. Did you do acid? No, you did no. acid. No, no, I did not. You did acid. I did not. It's okay. I get it. Oh, it's all right. I, no, I was with uh, I was with my girlfriend and her family. Who so also did acid. I couldn't partake, but uh, I also saw less than twenty four hours later the legendary king diamond Grandma! so it was really powerful just for the sense that like you know all like when metal was on top from you know the 80s into the early 90s like we never really felt that i mean we had our runs with you know a new wave of american heavy metal mm-hmm. with you know lamb of god and uh, you know pantera and all that but we didn't have like the 80s metal like we never got to experience 80s metal so like the lights go out uh sorry let me take a step back uncle acid and the deadbeats awesome awesome doom stone metal band stoner metal band from england sounds like if john lennon was still alive and was in a doom band was he still beating his wife i said what i said <laughs> we see you john <laughs> That peace and love shit doesn't fool me. He's changed, man. He's changed because he's, he's dead. <laughs> but anyway, so let's get on to the real thing. The lights go out right before Mr. King Diamond is supposed to take the stage. The candles come up. Uriah Heaps the Wizard comes over on the PA announcing system. And it is just such... My heart was racing for this... 63 year old man in chorus paint to come out and scream grandma at me like it was just it was i was i was not gonna lie one of the best shows in my life maybe even top 10 and this man bought the motherfucking heat and it was just an incredible show if you have the opportunity to go see him i would highly recommend it and considering that he had some health issues in the last couple of years you got to remember, you don't know when these guys are going to go. Everybody thought Lemmy was going to live forever, Mm -hmm. and he obviously... We don't have a lot of time left, guys. We we don't. Not for guys. Go see these individuals if you like them and appreciate what they do. I saw Iron Maiden over the summer. Felt that way. You know, when Priest comes around, I'll be seeing them. Appreciate these guys while you can, because it's all jokes until your favorite artist goes, and you realize how many opportunities you had to pass up. Now, me... I've been going back in time, but uh, differently. Just like last uh, episode... I've been listening to a lot of my childhood bullshit and a lot of the shit I listened to in high school. So me, I mean, I'll, I'll air my dirty laundry out there, right? I have a real, uh, I have always had a thing for the first Bring Me the Horizon album. Always, all right? I love Count Your Blessings. It's this really great, like, you know, it's it's deathcore, but it, it's got this Gothenburg sound to it. It's very much influenced by bands like At The Gates. Uh, it's fast, it's heavy, and uh, the lyrics are terrible, and obviously Ali Sykes is you know, Ali Sykes, but it's nice to revisit that stuff. Sometimes uh, I listened to the cleansing by suicide silence in the shower today. Um, and they actually hold up better than expected. So I've, I've been taking a little bit of like a, a death metal journey. Um, you know, I saw the Ergs who are not death metal, but I saw them over the weekend. Fun band. I got an opportunity to catch them at Rye Fest, So they were really a lot of fun too. They had uh they had big eyes open up for them who is, Helmed by a Long Beach local, um, Kate Eldridge, I believe her name is. And, uh, you know, always, I've seen him a couple of times. It's always cool to see Long Beach get represented like that. And uh, Chris Gethard, who is a stand up comedian, opened up. He was oh, funny. Yeah. 
And then the Ergs went on. They were terrific. Uh, they burned through my favorite album of theirs, Dork Rock Cork Rod. And uh, just really, really great frenzied pop punk um, straight out of the 90s New Jersey playbook. Um, I think the next couple weeks are going to be, you know, that now that the winter is coming in and the fog is rolling in, I think some atmospheric black metal is going to be on the docket. So hopefully the next time I'll come back, I'll be rocking corpse painting spikes and we can we can talk about eating band members brains and skulls and stuff Um, i killed your anonymous (laughs) so as always we want to thank everybody for tuning in this episode was a little longer than the last one but um you know we're just trying to bring that fire and uh gotta flush things out sometimes gotta flush things out sometimes um we are working on getting the podcast on Apple Podcasts and syndicated all over. But for now, you can find it on SoundCloud as well as Spotify. So if you search filthy F asterisk 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 G casuals, we will come up. All those ca- all those asterisks are important. Um, but we will be letting everybody know when we're everywhere else. Next week, we're going to have a very, very special episode of Filthy Fucking Casuals. We are going to be delving into the wide, wide world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And we'll even touch a little bit on NWA Power because we've got some cool stuff happening. But uh, we felt that New Japan, uh, with all their history, deserves its own episode. So we're going to be taking a deep dive into that. And, um, you know, we'll talk about the fallout of Survivor Series a little bit after. So for Damian Ellinghouse, thank you as always for tuning in. This is Ryan Doyle, and enjoy Survivor Series, and it's going to be a great one. Once again, this is the most electrifying, must-listen-to podcast in sports entertainment. This has been FFC. Filthy fucking casuals.